I'm Chef Bert Backman, and you're listening to Ingredient Insiders. This is Ingredient Insiders. I'm John Magazzino. And I'm Andrea Parkins. On each episode of Ingredient Insiders, we will be talking with chefs and food writers about their favorite ingredients. We'll then be speaking to the producers of those ingredients to talk about their history, how they're made, and why chefs love using them in their kitchens. Here we are in Los Angeles, California, Andrea. The weather is beautiful. The sun is shining. And we are talking about an ingredient. You must love this ingredient. I mean, this is something that I grew up with, you know, on all the Jewish holidays. Yep. My mom, who... Love you, mom, but you're not a great cook. This yep. is one thing that she actually could. Why cook. do you have to insult your mother's it's cooking on the show? Because she owns it. She's, I bet she made a nice uh, whatever we're talking about. If here. I told you her secret ingredient, you would laugh. But yeah. yes, brisket is the ingredient we're talking about today, near and dear to my heart. Absolutely love, and it brings back so many memories for me from my childhood and uh, family gatherings. And it's just a delicious cut of beef. It is the cut of beef that is used. Correct me if I'm wrong. Pastrami, mm-hmm. corn beef, corn beef, straight up brisket, obviously. Right. Why is it so it's ground delicious? Up in burgers sometimes. Yes, yes. There's a lot of applications for brisket. It's the B in the CBS burger, right? Chuck brisket short rib. Sh- Chuck brisket short rib. Got it. Yep. That's our CBS burger. Delicious. So the other amazing part about this episode, we are going to be talking with one of Los Angeles's great barbecue chefs, a guy named Burt Backman. He's like, he's a brisket whisperer. He's such a cool story. Israeli guy who was not in the food industry at all. Um, he, I hope I think he's gonna... he was a real estate agent. Yes. He's going to tell us, I'm sure, his his whole story on how he got into, you know, cooking barbecue. I read that it was something just like this podcast that came from COVID. But his barbecue, you know, is phenomenal. He was basically a home barbecue aficionado, super passionate about what he was doing, and he turned it into a business. So he's got Slab Restaurant in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Just a great story. And then, do, can you? Can I get a drum roll? Yeah. Do we have a drum roll here? We have Deb give up the funk. Funk. Funk from West Home Wagyu, this beef company in Australia that is just producing incredible products. And their brisket. Have you tried this brisket? I've tried the brisket. It's outstanding. I mean, you talk about brisket in, as is. It's a fattier cut, which is what makes the pastrami so flavorful and why it's so good in burgers to add that, you know, fat content to it. A Wagyu brisket? Next level, John. Yeah. So Deb Funk is coming in to speak with us all about West Home Wagyu. She is a beef expert, and this is going to be just one of those awesome episodes. I can't wait. All about brisket with West Home Wagyu and Chef Burt Backman. Los Angeles. This episode is in partnership with the Chef's Warehouse and produced by Gotham Production Studios in New York City. What a thrill to be in Los Angeles, Andrea, today with Burt Backman, the chef of Slab Barbecue. He also has another restaurant called Santalina in the Beverly Hilton. Santalina at the roof of the Beverly Hilton started as a pop-up and we're still pop Is that barbecue too? No, that's Mediterranean. Nice. It was supposed to be uh, an Israeli kind of a cafe. Uh, you know what? We'll make it less less contentious and and call it Mediterranean. Cover the whole. But there's definitely 
there are familiar things to anybody who travels through that area. There'll be familiar dishes and things. I so, love it. Did you grow up in Israel? I grew up uh, in Israel until the age of 13. And then I moved over to, uh, over here, to Los Angeles. Straight Not to LA. LA. Straight Where to in LA. Israel? Uh, Haifa. Nice. Haifa. In the Haifa in the area. And uh, like at some of the suburbs of Haifa. Uh, Kiryat Motzkin. Kiryat Motzkin is like a little town. It's great. You know, small town. And uh, where a lot of people knew each other. Amazed. Some of the best falafel you'll find in all of Israel. Yum. Over there. It's tr- incredible. I thought you were going to tell me it's some of the best Texas barbecue That's in the world that nobody knows about. It's, incre- well. <laughs> it, it's amazing to see, though, that there's Texas barbecue that is popping up in Israel as well. So uh-huh. I, think, I think the Texans should be very happy, very proud. I know some of them are not, but uh, that it has traveled outside of Texas. Um, but, you know, pe- a, lo- a lot of people out there are doing a great service. Well, today's ingredient is brisket. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And obviously that's something that's very part of the culture of Judaism. Yes. Or Israel. Is it yeah. Israel too? I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. Well, the, absolutely. Yeah. The Jews brought brisket in the 19th century to Texas mm-hmm. um, when they were facing, you know, a lot of, uh, I'll, I'll use the word persecution. Yep. They brought it to Texas. And then in the 20th century is when, or kind of in the 50s, when they first opened uh, a barbecue place. Yeah. Am I right? Yeah, a lot of European uh, Jews and not that that migrated uh, and and came to Texas. How exactly they ended up in Texas, I'm not sure, but they came to Texas, opened up the various meat markets. Uh, brisket was, of course, like a, a cheaper cut, and the smoking came into play to help you know preserve and buy some time for the, these cuts and these meat markets that you have throughout Texas are really incredible, and they're still there. They're still kind of uh, time capsules that you walk into just these large spaces, meat market, brisket, you know, the smoke. It's incredible. It's incredible. So brisket is definitely a big part of it. And uh, there, I was actually, I, I recently learned that Korea is actually the largest consumer of brisket. Interesting. Yeah. For Korean barbecue? For Korean barbecue. Yeah. yeah. They, they shave it thin. They freeze it. Um, it's packed all over and, you know, strength in numbers. You know, they just go through a lot, a lot of it. Uh, Stephen Reichlin wrote a great book about brisket and he told me about it and I was surprised. So it's very universal. I mean, even uh, corned beef mm-hmm. is yeah. brisket, Pastrami. right? Pastrami. Pastrami. The boiled, is pot roast even? Do they use brisket in like England like top... and, and, you know, the UK? Is that what they're... I think it's a different... It could like be a, a top round or a chuck yeah. roast. Yeah. 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 Maybe for brisket. Ta- yeah. But the brisket is is unique. There's two parts. You have the point and the flat. Yep. The point is fattier. The flat is more lean. My question for you is, you know, you have, your story is so unique and we've read about it. So I don't want to retell the story, but I guess what was that moment like for you? You know, you're a real estate agent, mm-hmm. you're in Texas, you ditched the conference. That's right. I love it that you know that story. It's true. Like, well, let's back <clears throat> up a little bit. You said he's a real estate agent? He was a real, real yeah, agent. Okay, yeah. so well, let's back up, because this is not a unique, yeah. normal story. Yeah, I mean, I was like reading this. <laughs> you moved to LA, let's start at this. You moved to LA at 13? Yeah, moved to LA at 13, you know, just uh, discovered convertible cars, uh, blonde girls, yes, mm. lockers, Pepsi. 
What kind of lockers? You know, the school lockers that you have, oh, that you yeah, guys take yeah, for granted? Cool. We did not have it in Israel. Yeah. You know, it was something that we saw on the grassy You have to carry high. your Could you ever you remember your yeah. combination? I, you know, <laughs> uh, I still remember it because I, I had 18 and 36, which were both very, yeah, and double high. So yeah. they're both memorable numbers. And recently I went and I visited. The combination has been changed. Where'd you go to high school? Uh, Birmingham High School, right here in LA and uh, Van Nuys. It was awesome. Very and cool. uh, yeah, I, I came here. Uh, discovered all of that. I always, the thing is, I always cooked. I just, uh, l as of late or the late last 15 or so years, I've definitely have been cooking a lot more than uh, in the previous 15, uh, having moving, moved in with my girlfriend, my wife. You know, she started to cook. Then I realized that maybe I should start doing a few things. And and I've always cooked. I've always cooked. And, and you know, I was in the music industry. I was in the music business. I've traveled. I toured. Uh, with some acts, which was exciting. And, you you know, I was always a food guy. I was very curious and interested, and I would travel around and eat uh, different things. And I have some other friends that are also as, as crazy about it as I am. From the music industry, I, I got into the real estate world. Uh, I was working with, uh, you know, I was working with this, with Ricky Martin. And uh, at that time, this is 99, 2000-ish, and I was living La Vida Loca. Like, I was going to say prime. like the Ricky Martin. Okay. Okay. The prime, prime living mm -hmm. La Vida Loca. Um, and, and he bought some condo in New York and I was somewhat, you know, in the sphere of that world and that transaction. And, um, and then that's it. 9-11 happened. We had several shows that were booked for that time. Uh, those shows were canceled. We didn't know what was going to happen. And uh, apparently it was drastic enough that I said, you know what, I'm gonna probably get out of this industry. I'm gonna get out of this real estate industry and, uh, or get out of this music. And, and I went into this real estate industry after seeing you know, Ricky's transaction and what was involved and, and there was an opportunity that came up and I did it. I thought to myself, I don't, you know, I can go to all the concerts. I get all these CDs anyway. I don't, I don't need to, to do this and uh, maybe I can make some money. And, and uh, Went into the real estate world and um, and was doing that. I was uh, involved in that world for twenty years. Wow! And yeah, we did, we did, did some real estate, and then um, about seven, eight, nine years ago, uh, I went for some conference. There was a company that was trying to recruit me uh, to lure me in. To, hey, come and see it. We have a big conference in Austin, Texas. Okay. Wanted to go to Austin. Wanted yeah. to have some barbecue. Sure, let's do it. It's a free trip. We'll put you up at the Four Seasons. We'll do this or that. We'll fly you out. Come check us out. I went to the to the to Austin, and before the conference started, I love the story. Before the conference started, uh, I went for some barbecue. I remember Ironworks in Austin, and um, I went there. And then I realized that everybody who's part of the the conference has this red bracelet. And I see a gentleman sitting by me with the red bracelet. Hey, uh, you know where are you from? From Arizona, whatever. And they said, look, if you really want good barbecue, you got to go to this other place. So I did. And then again, I met some people, got some information from them from Michigan. This is what they love. These ladies, the foreclosures, whatever it was. Uh, and I just kept bouncing around and, and, you know, I, I was so tired after eating it and, and I went to sleep, did not make it to the conference at all that day, but I had to go meet the group that is hosting me, that invited me to, mm -hmm. to Texas. I can't be rude and not show up to, to their dinner. At that point, I come to the dinner and uh, full. Uh, 
none of them have seen me in the conference. It's a large conference, but none of them have seen me. And like, so what, you know, have you seen it? What would you like? And I said, man, you know, the, the, the ladies from Arizona with their foreclosures, it was very interesting. And the, the, the guy from Michigan. <laughs> so, so like, oh, you know, never doubted it. So the remaining of that weekend, I did the same play. And then several years afterwards, they kept inviting me to this thing. And I, and I kept going. Never once. And I made it a point to never go into the, into the... So you're playing hooky from the conference. I played hooky from the conference. I felt guilty. I did join the company. You know, after, all, after everything I put them through, I did join the company. We had a great relationship and uh, it worked out great. They, they definitely benefited from it. So it wasn't uh, a loss for them. And uh, that's how it was. And then through my travels through Texas of doing this... I met a lot of great people, mm -hmm. uh, got into it, and I was really interested in experiencing barbecue, experiencing, you know, what the smoker feels like to open the doors, what slicing the, the you know, just these large, you know, because at that point, steak is is the largest piece of meat I was, I've ever cut. So you weren't making brisket at home, you were? I, you I, were like... I started after my first visit. Yeah. I, I, I came home, I got a green egg, got a green egg, and just started. What was that first time like? It was amazing, you know, because there was something about the smell of the rendering fat uh, and the, the, the oak that's smoking, and especially when it's a good, clean smoke and not a dirty smoke. You have a good, clean smoke and this fat rendering. It's something amazing. Some people click with it and get it, uh, and some people don't, which is okay, but there's something about it. And it was that experience that took me to those first times in Texas, he's sitting there eating it. And I remember feeling and, and understanding that barbecue is more than just eating it. It's like a state of mind. I realized- It's like an experience. It's it, not it just is, like- It is an experience, you yeah. know, and it doesn't have to be meat. It doesn't have to be a whole pig and, and things like that. You can, it can be vegetables. It can be other things. You I know? think the sides are important. Sides are, sides are very important. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I do events with this girl who does her, all of her desserts on, and on a grill and a smoker and things like that. So it's not limited to beef, uh, but it's, it's a state of mind. It's something that's very communal, brings people together. Um, something that I, you know, enjoy. And I wanted to bring it here to have that experience here because when I came here to LA, I realized this was- It doesn't really, doesn't, it doesn't exist. On that first trip to Austin, were you going, did you go and wait in line at Aaron Franklin's? Did I did, you go <clears throat> I did. I, I don't remember if Franklin's was on my first visit. I gotta assume it was. I gotta assume it, I, I was there on my first visit. And yeah, I stood in line, I got there early, got in line, whatever, 5.30, six in the morning, uh, early, early. And you know, that's part of the experience. That's part of, you know, if, if you've gone to Franklin and you've had it, but you've never experienced, never been in that line, you're missing out on something. You know, if it's not, it shouldn't be uh, beneath you to wait in that line. It's, it's a great experience. You're standing in line with people that are like-minded. People are just as crazy as you to get in line. Uh, you're invested in it emotionally, you know, uh, by waiting two, three, four hours. We're in this some. together. We're in this together. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm, so, I'm sure there are so many great memories that were made there. So it was great, you know, we sit there. I've done it several times. Now I, I, I don't wait in that line. Uh, He's but a VIP now. I'm VIP yeah. now. Yeah. He's I'm, going I'm, to the I'm, back I'm, door. I'm, 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 I am VIP now, but I also don't <laughs> eat as much barbecue. So, so I don't really, uh, uh, you know, take advantage of that. But yeah, Franklin's great. When did you meet your barbecue brother. My barbecue brother. Who's his barbecue Le brother? Leonard, Leonard Batello. Leonard Batello. 
Well, uh, I love that you bring it up. He's definitely my barbecue brother. Uh, you know, we tell each other that if we realize that something is about to happen, that, that are we calling our wives or are we deleting our text history? What are we, what, <laughs> what, what, what are we calling? If we have one, one play, uh, he's definitely my barbecue brother. He's one of my best friends. Uh, I was for, fortunate enough to be his, his, I think his best man when he got married. Uh, it was great. I got to give the speech funny speech. And uh, uh, when I got my first proper smoker, first proper smoker, I found somebody on Craigslist. I needed a proper smoker, not just a, a green egg. I needed an offset smoker. And I found this guy in Joshua, Texas, found him on Craigslist. And uh, he had these smokers. And I PayPal'd this guy out of nowhere. Sight you know, unseen. Yeah. Sight unseen. Sent him three grand thinking to myself, what, am I, what did I do? I had my wife said, you know, listen, go for it. And I got this smoker. And then I, I heard about this guy who has a great barbecue joint in Texas, who learned on YouTube, learned online, is still learning, he's great. And I just messaged him out of nowhere uh, on Facebook, messaged him like, hey man, I just got this smoker. I don't even know how to turn it on. How do I get this going? What do I do here? And he, he showed me how to light a fire. So as much as I mean, we make fun and we joke around, I definitely, uh, I owe him a lot. Uh, we do a lot. We, we travel all over the country now. We do so many events. We, it's incredible. And, and we still have it. You know, whenever, if I ever get a little too comfortable and I talk, start talking some smack to he him. He reminds you of your roots. He'll, he'll yeah. send Remember me. Remember that he, Facebook message. He, you know, he goes to that Facebook message and he scrolls back and sends me a screenshot like, Showed you how to light a fire. Keeping you grounded. Yeah, yeah mm -hmm. absolutely. And yeah, that's how we did it. And when did, and how long was it before you actually met? Uh, probably about a, a little less than a year. Uh, I went to Texas on one of my trips and uh, we had someone mutual, uh, a friend, and we went and we saw him and we've been a mascot. Yeah. <laughs> and and uh, yeah, we met. Now we, we talk all the time. Yeah, he's, he's great. Awesome. He's great. He's really, really, he, he makes the most incredible, incredible uh, barbecue. Does he have As, a barbecue business in Texas? He does. He does. Truth Barbecue ha is in, in Brenham. Yeah. yeah. Uh, incredible. Top, top rated Texas monthly barbecue joint. And it is uh, um, every four years, a list comes out of the best barbecue places in Texas. It's a very stressful list that comes out. Uh, Daniel Vaughn, who is the editor of uh, Texas Monthly, puts it together. He's an accountant in his background, but traveled around um, and became a barbecue expert. And uh, uh, it was uh, number 10 before, I think. Now it's uh, number three or four. Uh, but all of your favorite barbecue guys claim as that to be their favorite uh, barbecue. Yeah, yeah, it's incredible. And so, so Brenham, small place off of a highway, beautiful, true barbecue type of a joint. And then he's got one in the Heights in, in Houston. Incredible, incredible space with a pit room that is uh, something that you dream about of, you know, with five huge thousand gallon tanks. It really is a show. Amazing what did they do. Are there. you, Andrew, are you a barbecue eater? I know, oh, yeah. You talk about food a lot. Yeah, I mean, I, I love. Have you done the whole Texas thing? Have you? I gone? haven't done the whole Texas thing. I'm going, I want to be honest. Yeah. Um, but I do love barbecue. I think um, 
when we were in Portland on our last trip, yep. you know, we, that was the first uh, Mike's barbecue. Yeah. Um, that was my first, you know, thing know. that I yeah. ate was when I went to Portland. It was delicious. I think for me, it's comfort. Um, I, I love the, the fact that it's this slow process that kind of you have to, it's like tender love and care. It's not just like this quick thing that you can like season and go. Like there is a science. There is um, a lot that goes into it. Yeah. And that's why I love it. It's a relationship that you yeah. uh, develop with it. You form with it. You know, it's really is a relationship. It's a dance. It's an equation. The weather, mm-hmm. the, the, the wind, the humidity, so many things that go into it. And it's a relationship. It's, just it's a labor of love. It is definitely and when you're eating a labor it, of love. You're like, this took hours to make. Hours. And I know from selling brisket that there's a lot, you know, you get a piece of meat and 60%-ish is loss. Yeah, it, it, it depends. Yeah, on, it depends on, on the, how you trim it and the temperature that you're cooking it. But yeah, 40 to 60, Yeah, you know, 50. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We'll say we'll go 50. Let's go 50. Yeah, but, that, but that's, but that's uh, yeah, that's something to consider. What is perfect barbecued brisket? What does that mean to you or to, is there such a thing? Uh, you know, I look at I look at the, the color of the slice. Uh, the, when when you slice it open, I, we rest our briskets. I do. Leonard does most most of the barbecue guys. We rest the brisket. Uh, a brisket that doesn't rest uh, long enough when you slice it open, we find the color to be this to have this grayness that uh, you don't get when the color really rests and and. And you get this these hues of mahogany throughout, which is great. Uh, Do they the f- call those smoke rings? We like a, a more delicate smoke ring. When it's a very aggressive smoke ring, uh, to me, it's not visually appealing. Uh, is it uh, overpowering the flavor? I I I I, I think that it's from dirty, like mm-hmm. dirty smoke. I I I I think, but I'm sure somebody with. Uh, Better knowledge would argue that, that maybe they'll say, you know, they'll they'll go to the various chemical reactions and different things that happen. But I, I like it to be more subtle. You know, we look at at the fat, the way it was uh, trimmed, the way it was rendered, its color, the color of the fat, the, the, the gradients of the fat. So there are things, you know, that I, I deal with it all the time with our slab uh, social media team, for instance. You know, they'll get some photos of a tray and I'll think it's either not the right angle or not the right color or or the fat you see it not just cascading down at the the, the right tem- the right way but how long is the proper amount of time to rest then <laughs> I, I rest our my brisket for usually around the same amount of time as it cooked yeah so uh my, my usual brisket uh every day is it, it goes in at about 8 a.m 9 a.m no later than 10 a.m uh, it goes out at about 10 p.m., uh, about 12 hours. It rests until it comes down to about 140 degrees. It's in butcher paper. We wrap it up with some saran. I put it in our holding, in our CVAP, and it stays there overnight. It stays there, and then some briskets will get sliced at 11 a.m. Some briskets will get sliced at 6 or 7 p.m. So some of them are in there for close to 24 hours. And just they just they feel nice. They 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 like the feel, longer it rests. The yeah, they, 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 it is. They, they, the color is on the okay. inside. The color on the inside is, um, and it's just a beautiful thing. So like when you see people slicing brisket, often they'll they'll slice slice one, slice two, and then they show you the second slice, which we always laugh about. You know, the second slice is always you're always gonna have a, a, the slices. 
the second slice always looks nice. Anyhow, so so but Leonard and I coincidentally, you know, we we joke around about it about this second slicing, and we always say, you know what, show me the fourth slice because this first slice, the second slice will look great almost always. It look great. It's the third slice, the fourth slice that you can see the really it's like it's cr- true colors. It's true colors. The craftsmanship, the talent of the 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 cook. Uh, and also all these barbecue guys, they can tell, you know, if you show me a slice of brisket, I can tell you in what position in the brisket that was, of course, you can tell flat or point, mm-hmm. but where was it in the point, like in that puzzle? And the third and fourth, those are, those are the ones. And look, and there's some, some people out there that claim that they can tell you when they eat it, if it's a right-sided brisket or left-sided brisket. How? They claim that, you know, cows get off a certain way and that there's one side is, you know, it's a pectoral muscle, it's a mm-hmm. working muscle, and they claim that, you know, the cow gets up a certain way and then one side is more work than the other. So if it's more tender, it's from the one side than the other? Yeah. Interesting. I've never heard that. Where in California <laughs> do you get Texas post oak? Uh, so there are, there are a couple of post oak suppliers. There are a couple, and especially with the boom of, sorry, but the boom of Texas barbecue, Post Oak has definitely come up. Uh, I had a guy who came one time to the restaurant and said, Bert, this is great. Everything's great. But he's like, but you know why this will not be a real, authentic Texas barbecue? <laughs> why? Like, because you're not using Post Oak. And, and I thought about him for a second. I thought, like, you know, he's right. And I thought, he's not right. Because there are people all over Texas who are not using Post Oak. They're using hickory, mesquite, whatever. And are not using Post Oak. And they're using post oak because that's local to them. That's what they have. I love post oak. I love post oak. The smell of post oak, incredible. I love it. We use California white oak. You know, we use white oak. We, we have a, a local father-son uh, team. You know, so we support super local small business. They'll drop off bags and bags of this wood. Or they, when they deliver wood for me at home, I get it by a pallet, by a cord, a cord, half a cord. And, um, and I'm like the source because then any one of my friends who needs wood for their barbecue, like, come on, they, they load up. Uh, but yeah, so there's definitely, and we have a lot of oak in California. So. Well, you said something that I kind of brought me back to another story that I read or kind of like part of your upbringing. I think we kind of skipped a big chunk. Yeah, let's go back. So you said... Just now that, you know, if your friends need wood, they come to your home. Yeah. People used to come to your home to buy the, your barbecue. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was wild. So to, cl- to clarify, they would come to get barbecue. I never sold it. Oh, okay. I never sold it. I was a real estate professional. I never did it for the money. Uh, so when I was doing my backyard stuff, uh, I had a box on the side of Topo Chico, and uh, it was a donation box. Not enforced, not required. No, Trudy's Underground? Trudy's Underground barbecue. Um, it was on the side. And you know what? I always got the donations. I always covered my expenses. Because when I was doing one brisket at the, in the green egg and then figured out how to do two briskets, it was a big, uh, that was, that's fine. You know, and I was doing it all the time. But now, after I got that smoker from Joshua in Texas, uh, now I went from two briskets to... 11 briskets, you know, it's a big jump. And uh, you can't eat 11 briskets. Was your wife asking no. <laughs> you questions like, what are you doing with all these briskets? I was, I was giving it away the same as I was giving with the, the other two briskets. You know, I was giving them all away. And uh, 
I would meet my friends. It gave me the opportunity to see friends of mine that I haven't seen in a long time. And, um, you know, they would see it popping up on whatever it was at the time, MySpace or Facebook. And, uh, you know, I would give it to them. And I would give it to them really in a very drug deal-esque kind of a way. You know, again, no money. There we go, take it. And I was just, that was my thing, you know? And then until one day I landed on uh, a friend of mine that I was from the nightlife clubs, club world. And uh, I would never see him during the day. And I'm telling Brian, you know, I never see you during the day. I'm going to come by, I'll bring it to you. Because he saw me always dropping it off. And I brought it to them. And, and then he calls his partner over, John uh, Terzian, my partner, my partner now. And he has this, he eats this sandwich, my Trudy special. Trudy was my friend's mom, another story. And, uh, and he, I remember him closing the door behind them. And he says, you know, we want to open a barbecue joint. Why don't you do it with us? You know, and it was not my intention. It was never a thought. It was never, you know. This was like a hobby at that point. Totally. Okay. Totally. And I said, sure, sure. You know, and uh, and, that, and, that, and that's it. And, you know, we, we mentioned something like slab of brisket. And I remember, you know, he's like, slab. You know, kind of like like that scene in um, in Back to the Future when he's like, oh, you're going to be mayor one day. And he's like, mayor, you know, do you remember that scene? <laughs> he's like, slab. You know, we're going to call it slab. Okay, I just met this guy, you know, I just met this guy. So Brian, okay, guys, we'll see you later. And like a week later, they're like, hey, you know, we're going to go look at a few sites with us. And now, yeah, now Slab is just turned four, and we are opening three more locations wow. uh, this year. Incredible. And Where? All here in LA uh, and Pasadena, right next to our chicken friends, Howl and Ray's, which is a great chicken uh, crew in uh, Pasadena, in North Hollywood, and in Woodland Hills. And we have, we're working on grills, we're working on, of course, bottling sauces and different things and, and projects and large projects, you know, where I barbecue, you know, a ton, you know, a ton and a half of, and that's two, 3,000 pounds of meat that I'll, I do it for large events. And that's exciting, you know, so. What do you think about, though, like, I'm I'm thinking back to you buying the egg with one brisket, yeah. and now you're. Talking it's a business about, now. Yeah, like you still love it. Yeah, yeah. Like, what's it, that like? It's good question. You know, it's something that I I think about often because, um, yeah, you know, it's you get to this point where it's a thin line, and then I don't want to cross it. I already eat very very little barbecue. I eat barbecue when I visit my friends. I'll go to Leonard. I'll have barbecue over there. I'll go to with some of my friends here. Moosecraft barbecue, incre incredible barbecue. Eat over there, uh, and I don't want to. I don't want to cross that line when it comes to barbecue. I love barbecue. I love my friends, the community, everything that it it brought me. Uh, I I very grateful for it. Uh, but yeah, it is a business now. You know, it is it is a business now. It's not. I'm not in the backyard anymore. Now I have to think about labor costs, food costs, uh, insurance, uh, the city. You know, marketing, just keeping. Mm -hmm. Just there's a lot. Yeah. There is a lot. Uh, so it's a whole other challenge, and I definitely lean heavily on our group, uh, H-Wood Group, who operates and, and is running this uh, with me. It's a challenge. It's, it's, a whole, it's a whole other world. Do you fire the green egg up anymore at home? The green egg, I don't. Uh, my, the dome of my green egg broke um, several years ago, but uh, I got to say my backyard is not lacking. You know, it's a little messy, but I have things hanging. I've, I, I hang meats from the lemon tree, you know, on, and just light a fire on the dirt, on the, on the ground, by the so grass. Cool. 
It's nice, you know, it's just a, it's a state of mind, you know, it's got a lot of, it's very kind of like Francis Mullman, you know, and what he does, which is, I got to cook with a few times, which is incredible. That's you awesome. You know, I have a video of me giving him some brisket and he was asking questions about it and uh, it was incredible. Yeah. So yeah. music to real estate to, to barbecue. To barbecue and to, to see what goes next. What, yeah. What is next? I mean. I, I would love to get a studio and paint. Oh. Huh? Thing. I see there's a quite a uh, correlation between food and chefs and, and art. So, you know, I'm not, it's nothing special with me. It's just, there's something about it. What do you look for when you're purchasing brisket? For, we have a lot of people that are listeners to the show yeah. that <clears throat> I'm sure are listening to you their home barbecue people. They're dusting off they, their green egg. And, but also they're like, wow, maybe I there's a business in this for me and you know, taking it to that level. But it, for someone who is making home barbecue or a restaurant, what is the ideal brisket? What does that piece of meat look like? Yeah, uh, well, they're like snowflakes a lot of times I say, you know, they're really, they're no two are alike almost. Uh, uh, I look for first the size Look for them to be about 13, 14 pounds. Uh, I look for a fat layer, a fat cap on it. Ideally, it's consistent all the way over it, so it's full, it's completely covered in fat. Uh, I look for a thicker, if possible, a thick flat uh, at the at the at the end of it. Because uh, if I'm cooking it at home, I'm gonna have so much of the trim and it's maybe it's not enough, you know, to collect for sausage or something, you know, not everybody has a grinder because you can grind it and use it for a, a different sauce bowl. And Are you making whatever. your own sausages? I do. Yeah. 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 Of course. Of course. Of yeah. course. We've been, we've had various opportunities to use some other sausages, but we, yeah, we definitely make our own so sausages. We need to go before we leave. Please do. This. Please, sure. yeah. please come by. Yeah. We make our, we make variety of sausages. Uh, that's something that is actually, I love to, leave it to the guys in the kitchen and I tell them, whatever you want, make any sausage you want, anything, you smelled something, you ate something, you're inspired by something, whatever you want, let's make those sausage so they really, they have some uh, ownership of it, you know, and, uh, and honestly, the, 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 their kitchen and the restaurant is, is theirs just as much, you know, um, so they're incredible, but. Um, Sorry so, to interrupt, I just got excited. No, 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 absolutely. But size, fat, you know, shape, uh, a lot of times they come, you know, sometimes they come completely mangled and, you know, from the, from the processing and, and there, I've, I've had briskets where the flat part was completely split open, completely split, like two loins, it looked like two loins. Uh, I've had them completely butchered and, and, and sometimes for the most part, I think they come out very nice. So definitely look out for the size. Are there brands that you go to? Or like companies that you're you know, procuring um, from, like a West Home or West West Home is great. West Home beef is uh, in, incredible. Is incredible. that Australian Wagyu? Australian Wagyu, my God, it's incredible. Uh, we've done a few dinners with them and events. Uh, I I use West Home for most of my events. When I I'll do a special event, I'll do uh, I use West Home. West Home's incredible. Is that fattier, more marbled beef better for brisket, or do people want something leaner? What is the what uh, for for brisket? I it's I th I think a good prime, a good choice mm -hmm. uh, would be great. You know, because you have good fat on, mm -hmm. on top, you have good fat throughout. 
it doesn't need to be snowy. It doesn't have to be Wagyu. It doesn't have to be necessarily like A5 or olive or sure. things like that that I see sometimes. Good prime, good prime, good good choice will do. Uh, I've done some West Holmes uh, briskets. Was an incredible product, I gotta say. We love West Holmes. We, we yeah. do. Um, let's talk about your rub. Yep. What are you doing for the rub? I spent an afternoon in Taylor, Texas a few years ago yeah. with Wayne Mueller. Mueller. Of course, good friend of mine. And he really was telling me a lot. This, um, That's Louis Mueller Barbecue. Cathedral. The Cathedral of Smoke. The Cathedral. Always, what always. What a place to visit. Incredible. That family is is very intense family. Just outside of Austin. Yeah, his sister Leanne. Leanne, yeah. I'm very, Lala Barbecue yeah. now. But he was telling me about the pepper how yeah. important the pepper was. Talk to us about your rub. So my rub is very similar to what Wayne uses. Uh, for the most part, it's 50-50 salt and pepper. But my pepper, I break up into different mesh numbers. So so it's it's a finer and uh, thicker. The Louis Mueller, very thick pepper. Incredible. And my salt is also a breakup of kosher salt and Lowry's salt. So that's the mix. It varies, you know. The Lowry seasoning salt? Yeah, so Lowry seasoning and kosher salt to make up the 50% salt and then variety of peppers to make up for the peppers. Um, you know, sometimes it varies. Sometimes there'll be something that's laying around. You know, I at home especially, I'll, I'll, I throw in uh, allspice. I'll throw in some, you know, sometimes some granulated garlic. Uh, dehydrated amba, which is like this uh, pickled mango uh, kind of a condiment that uh, sauce that you use in, in around the world, which uh, is great. Very common with shawarma and falafel and things like that. Have you done za'atar? Love za'atar, not in not in the brisket, okay. not with the, not with the brisket. Use za'atar with everything else. Uh, love za'atar, of mm-hmm. course. But salt, you know, salt and pepper. You yeah. know, I, I get so many rubs sent to me. I have, uh, and then I accumulate bags. Then I give them out, and I I, I never throw it away. I, I give it out. And a lot of times, what I do is actually I'll take a bunch of these rubs, put them together in one bowl, and then repackage just one big mix of this custom rub. Yeah, and give it out to people. Mm-hmm. But uh, salt and pepper, love it. But at night, slab turns into a steakhouse. Slab turns into a steakhouse, and you're using yeah. the rub. So it turns into a, a steakhouse, but it's it's not it's not a regular thing. Okay, it's not a regular thing, and it's not really, you know, just for everybody. It's uh, the week goes along, and especially if it's a good week, I, I'll start texting some people and say, hey, "Sidewalk Thursday, 8 p.m." And I bring with me a variety of steaks, variety of different cuts. West home, whatever it may be, diff, diff, different things. Uh, and the different friends of mine, the different chefs uh, will come, they come after work when they're done with their service. And Kevin Meehan, for instance, from Cali, great restaurant, mm-hmm. great chef. He brings over some dried squabs, you know, incredible. Tim Hollingsworth over an Otium, he'll bring, you know, whatever he has, some lamb, he has something. Uh, these other guys bring wine, you know, some kind of wine. Like industry potluck. Industry kind of a thing. Yeah. You know, people have something, you know, they bring some, you don't have to bring anything, but they bring Wolfgang Puck will bring something else. This guy brings something else. And we sit there and people drinking wine and we're hanging out and we're grilling and such a good time. We want to turn it into something. We want to do like, uh, it's an idea that we've been talking about for a while. This is literally just setting up Conroe grills, Binchotan, you know, charcoal. We sit on the front, wine. 
We're hanging out, no money involved. Everyone's just hanging out. We're talking about guests. This is so great. It's such an LA thing. Yeah, too. how do we get like, on the text list? Just Always really like chefs coming together. You're not, you know, you're not competitors. There's not this like no, no, ego no. battle between you, but you're all coming in, you're hanging out. I kind of always get that vibe when I come to LA that yeah. the chefs here really kind of support one another and you're doing fun stuff that it's awesome. They're it's not really... doing that in a lot of other places around the world. They're not doing that in New York City, John. No. It's unfortunate. And they should do it. They, they should. should. Because they should do it because we do it and it's great. And But we will turn slab into a steakhouse at night. We'll put white linen. We'll bring in candles. We'll change the music. We'll dim the lights. Uh, we have a grill. We'll bring some things. And uh, yeah, it's something we're working on now. It's going to be I awesome. I love that. It's so, so cool. Yeah. 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 It's awesome. Well, the time has come. We could talk for hours. Here. I could talk yeah, to you could. forever. I really could. Yeah, brisket's a long time. But I know you've been waiting for me to ask you your, I, your five pantry staples. You know, uh, so yeah, I, I was thinking about my 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 pantry staples, and I realized as I was thinking about it, I realized that it's it's a, an evolving, it's a always an answer that would always change because I see you in a month, and it will be likely will be different. It's not. Calabrian chili, like so many people, so many of your guests have, uh, or anchovies, which though I love anchovies, but uh, aside from obvious salt and good olive oil that people have and butter, that are, it's good that, to hear how many people keep it on their counter. I have my tare, uh, which is uh, the dipping sauce, you know, common in yakitori. Uh, my tare, I have a tare that's been going uh, since 1961. I wasn't the one to start it. But I've had one going for several years and then met, you know, some people who, who have some going there as well. And they gave me some of theirs that I, I married. So I have uh, a tare that's since 1961. Which Wait, explain great. to the yeah. listeners what exactly tare is. It's not soy sauce. It's not so. It's not just soy sauce. It's it's amazing. It's something that tare is really, uh, which probably would have been my favorite ingredient to talk about, which is thyme. The T-I-M-E. Yep. Tare is a mix of mirin and sugar and soy sauce uh, and some sake. And, uh, uh, and, and it's, you, you cook that together. You, you cook off the alcohol and you dip your chicken sticks. Yakitori, you dip your chicken sticks. Whatever protein you're cooking, you dip it into that. And as time goes by, you know, the, the liquid absorbs some of the fats and the flavor from, from whatever it is that you're cooking. And it takes own shape it takes its own shape and then you have to clean it sanitize it strain it uh i always and then i have a batch and i always keep a backup god forbid i lose it i spill it something so i have i have a backup and then look sometimes i'll, I'll throw in a stick of of cinnamon some allspice some whatever and and to give it a slightly different different life it actually or today i was supposed to come here i turned around because i had to pick up my tare for something for later don't leave home without it. Okay. So I had to. And so tare is something that I'm, I use a lot. I use it for vinaigrettes. I use it for when I cook for my kids. They love it. It reminds me, like, as you're talking about it, like sourdough starter. Like how you, It does. And that yeah. always that, that does always come up. Although, you know, sour, I can give you a, a sourdough loaf with a 50-year-old starter. You won't necessarily be, you tell a difference with, between the starters. But it's also something so romantic to think about that this is something that's been passed down from generations. Right. Iberico, jamon iberico fat. Uh, I go through the a, a leg, several legs in December. Um, and so all the fat I keep, there's zero 
zero waste with that leg, especially with a $1,400, $1,500 leg. What zero. do you like to do with that fat? So the fat, I render it uh, completely, and then I blend it again with the rendered fat and what I, what I, uh, the liquid that I got, got from it. And uh, I strain it, and it's just this gold caramel, you know, liquid gold. And, and if you think about it, that's what, this is a hundred dollar, you know, uh, a pound fat. It's I'm like, the, it's like, it's like the non kosher schmaltz. Uh, yes. It is. So <laughs> yes, I've used it before. That's for, awesome reference, I, John. Absolutely. So I've used it before for uh, matzo balls instead of Ugh. chicken schmaltz, instead of chicken Stop. fat, we used, we used, yeah, that. And I use it to brush on uh, steaks, on proteins. So I brush it. That, uh, I've been going through this koji phase, uh, but I, 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 I hate myself every time I say it because when I see it on menus or I hear people talk about it, I find to me it's like so obnoxious sometimes, like koji, 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 koji. Right. But yet I, I have some koji stuff going on myself. So I have this koji lick, koji that was uh, blended with uh, Parmesan and a little bit of water. And that liquid, you brush it on anything. You can, I can take a plain piece of choice steak and I brush it with that and you think it's dry aged, aged and it's beautiful. And so it's, um, so that's great. Uh, I have this uh, amazing anchovies uh, that I got from uh, the cheese store here in Beverly Hills. That's always sit, uh, sits on my counter and, uh, and a good block of cheese. I, I like, I, I dehydrate chunks of Parmesan that sits on my, on my counter and I cut them into small pieces, into small little cubes, and I throw them into whatever I'm cooking, and they will uh, crunch up a little bit, and, and the inside is just soft and cheesy, and just flavor bombs that mm-hmm. my my kids my kids love. You should invite Andrea and I over your house for I dinner like tonight this... because I can tell that his what's going on is really this special. So, this is my top, I'm going to say top three, John conversation that we have had. <laughs> I'm serious, like. Because I don't want to offend any of our other. No, I need to offend. Guests, yeah. But like, honestly, like, I don't. You are like super inspiring. Uh, like what I, you're I, doing, I, and like you just like it's all about flavor, and there's like no limits. There I just, is no limits. I, it's you awesome, know, I'm, really. I I I appreciate you saying that, but you know, I'm I'm uh, I'm interested. I'm curious. The curiosity is, I think, like what fuels what we all do. Because and there's no end to it. Correct. There's no end to it, and you know, I, I've been around some great people from you know Aaron Franklin to like Wolfgang Puck and others and I see that they stand around and they're watching to see maybe I can learn something from this maybe there's something I'm not they're not coming in but like hey I'm XYZ I know everything let's see what this guy's doing what can we learn from this guy mm-hmm. and that's very very interesting you know so it's very curious but uh yeah can so I ask you one more question of course and I'm sorry if yeah. no has anyone reached out to you on Instagram to kind of like that you've thought that was me once when I reached out. Yes, 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 yes. I, I, I get it. And it's incredible. I, I'm never, it's never beneath me. It's, I always take the time. I always encourage, I, uh, you know, do it for barbecue. Don't do it right. to, to become a celebrity or, you know, ask what you can do for barbecue, you mm-hmm. know, not what barbecue can do for you. Like yeah. Kennedy said, I think that's what he meant to say. Instead. That's what he was talking about. <laughs> that's what he was talking about. Are there up and comers that you know of? Yeah, you know, there was a guy that I was just talking to. Uh, he had this munchies video. I saw this this guy in New Jersey did this this video, and I, I messaged him. I found him on Instagram. I said, "Hey, man, I just saw your video. Incredible! I'm so happy to see it. I've gone through the same thing. You know, people try to shut me down. Like, no, no, the community loves us. We're not getting shut down." Messaged me 
couple of days ago, like, I just got shut down. I can't believe it. Like, man, you're going through exactly, I know exactly what you're going through. You know, you have to really ask yourself if you want to do it because it, it is a lot of work. But I do get those messages all the time. People send me photos of their, whatever they're cooking, which is great. No matter what it looks like, I always encourage them. I talk to them. I invite people to WhatsApp me and message me. You know, I'll go through the process with them. It's great. You know, it really, it really is awesome to do it. And I'm always flattered with anybody when anybody will ask me. I have two last questions. Yeah. Is there a bias about you making Texas-style barbecue in California? Obviously, you've got, yeah. it's the home of this type of barbecue, mm-hmm. um, for particularly for brisket. Is there any reason why you can't make great barbecue outside of Texas? No, 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 definitely not. And yeah, we, we I, I, I do see it sometimes where people think like, oh, you cannot have a barbecue California. They don't know about barbecue. But you know, happy cows come from California, right? That's what, that's what they say. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's no reason why we don't. We have great weather. We have great produce. We have great beef, even though this beef comes, you know, from Omaha or wherever mm-hmm. it's coming from anyway. And we have some barbecue places here in in LA and in California that will keep up with any, any, any barbecue that you have in Texas, Carolinas, Kansas, wherever. And uh, it's incredible. And I think for the most part, these, you know, everybody in Texas should be very happy to see that, you know, and because there's a lot of crappy barbecue in Texas, a lot of crappy barbecue here. But I think that California is definitely moving on and on and on and is doing Texas very, very proud. They should be it should be very happy. Awesome. My last question is because you were talking about a lot of ingredients in your pantry that were Japanese in origin. Are is there anybody doing great Texas style barbecue in Japan mm, that you in, know of? In Japan, uh, no. I'm, I don't know I'm if not, you've been yeah, there or not. No, I've, there... I've not been to Japan, and, I, and not that I know. Of, I'm sure. I'm sure somebody is doing it because American culture is so big in Japan. Yeah. Uh, so I, I gotta assume that somebody is doing it. I, the top of my head, I'm, I, I can't think I of it. I was just curious. I asked the question because I have friends in the pizza business and some other industries, even wine now, where I was shocked when I was in Tokyo years ago and a friend of mine called me who's a pizza consultant. He was like, I'm coming to Japan. I was like, what are you doing in Japan? He said, I'm going to have the best pizza on the planet. I was yeah. like, in Japan, in Tokyo? He's like, yeah. And that, you know, it turns out five of the best, you know, pizza places in the world are, are in Japan. And I'm wondering, there's, is there someone like a young Burt Backman in his backyard who's getting these really exquisite cuts of Japanese Wagyu and they're, you know, trying to learn and perfect Texas style barbecue uh, That'd be pretty there. cool. I bet there's I'm somebody. Sure, I'm there sure, I'm sure, I'm I mean, sure somebody and I'm sure there is. And if they hear it, please, I, I look, you know, message me. Yeah, let's if go. If you're listening, please, please message us. But yeah. I see it. They have it in Israel. They have it in Egypt. They have it in England. They have it in Germany. Who you know? doesn't like, other than vegetarians <laughs> and vegans, a great salty, fatty mm. slice of beef? I mean, there's nothing better to me. Like it's just especially when it's when it's done right with yeah. with just a good piece of white bread and a couple slices of rinsed white onions. Damn, Perfect. Andrea, let's go let's slab right barbecue. Slab barbecue. We're going. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks today. for Thank having you. Me. Great conversation. Thanks for having me. It is a great day in New York, Andrea. Do you know why? Because we have Deb Funk. 
the vice president of the Americas from AACO in the house. Yeah, AACO is West Tomwago. What is AACO? Sure. I'm so happy to be here, first and foremost. Thank you. We're psyched to have you. Awesome. Thank you. AACO is the Australian Agricultural Company, and West Home is our brand of F1 Wagyu. If you don't know what West Home is at this point, and you are in the food business, you need to learn. Um, talk to us. It's 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 an incredible. incredible Wagyu beef coming from Australia. How long has the company been around? So the company's been around since 1824. Oh, yeah. So really? we are approaching our 200-year anniversary. Wow. I didn't next know year. that. How yeah. many years in the United States? So that's a good question. A bit loaded because we've come in and out a few times. But I would say I've joined the company nearly four years ago. And we've really made a hard push into the U.S. with West Home since then. Have they always been focused on Wagyu or have they... So not for 200 years. No. Okay. <laughs> I was going to say. I even want to say before we dive into that stuff. Yeah. A lot of people don't even know. They hear the term Wagyu and they hear Kobe beef. Yeah. Explain to us like what myth is... Myth busting. What yeah. is Wagyu? I know it's a Japanese word, but what is Absolutely. Wagyu? The, the actual word translates into Japanese cow, right? Okay. So it's a terminology. It's not ne- necessarily a breed. There's actually four breeds under the umbrella of Wagyu. Japanese black, Japanese red, Japanese pulled, et cetera. And so the majority of the Wagyu that you see is going to, in the U.S., that is, would be uh, Japanese black, with the exception of some Japanese red. Uh, one company in Texas does some. And we have a little bit of Japanese red mixed into our herd. But it is a breed. It's a breed that was originally a working breed. And when they figured out that these animals had a natural propensity to marble, they started raising them for beef. And it really is the most premium, um, highly marbled beef. If we're talking about Japanese Wagyu, they grade on a different scale. They still use a BMS scale, which is a beef marble score. And that scale goes from zero to 12. And then they also have other indications. So the most common term I think people know is A5. Mm -hmm. And A5 is Japanese Wagyu exclusively right? That's their grading system. And A5 falls between an 8 and a 12 on the BMS scale. Got it. Okay. So they raise their animals differently, very, very differently. And they are actually breeding for fat, right? They want that really intense marbling, almost snowy, fine textured marbling. Um, We have approached this business in a very different way for a number of reasons, which I'll go into shortly. Uh, But we are really all about getting a balance between the lean and the fat. We want you to be able to have an experience eating a steak versus the two or three ounces of the A5 that you can eat, which is so rich, almost like foie gras. Right, like you it's can't just, really eat no. a lot you of really that. You really can't. I'm, I'm actually amazed when I hear chefs tell me how many, the, the number of ounces that people come in into a restaurant order just because. like <laughs> The gout special. Exactly, yeah. exactly. That's what we're really breeding for, for a flavor and a balance. And so, hence F1. So the, the Japanese Wagyu are 100% Wagyu genetics or purebred or full blood as we call it. Um, whereas West Home, particularly right now, is an F1 program. We are in the process of launching an, a West Home Purebred, which is a rebranding of a program we already have, and putting it under the West Home umbrella. But for you know, the sake of argument right now, I would say West Home is our F1 brand, and that is a 50-50 cross. So in any scientific um, evaluation, you would have a first-generation cross as an F1. So it could be in vegetables, it could be, you know, it doesn't matter, any animal, humans even. And that is what our program is. So you're crossing the Japanese Wagyu with Australian Black Angus. No. I'm just making that up. So really traditionally and across the board, the majority of people doing F1 Wagyu, which would be all of the ones you know of and you can think of, whether it's Australian, American or what have you, 
um, they breed against Angus or Hereford. So you're not wrong. Okay. But that doesn't work for us because of where we're located. So in Australia, we own almost 16 million acres, just one percent, about 1% of the land mass of Australia. And wow. it's all in Queensland and the Northern Territory, which if you're looking at me, you can see I'm using my hands. But if you're not, it's in the <laughs> top right part of the country. So it's quite hot. It's almost sort of like South Texas from a mm -hmm. climate perspective. And things don't grow really well there. Is it like too hot for Angus it, cattle? It's too hot for Angus cattle. Okay. Uh, Angus cattle are also, because they've got really heavy black hides, yeah. they also are not great walkers. And because we have so much land, our animals have to walk. And they have to walk to water. They have to be more fit cows. They have to be much more fit cows. Exactly. Okay. So what, what breed is so this? We, so we actually have a proprietary breed called the Mitchell. The Mitchell mom and the Waggy sires make for our West Home Waggy. The Mitchell is six different breeds that over the last 40 years we've um, refined and we continue to refine our genetics. Uh, but it's an animal that thrives in that environment. So it has some tropical influence, some continental European influence on the beef breed side. Mm -hmm. It's a little bit of everything. We take the characteristics that we want from each uh, breed and we kind of mix it all together in a very scientific way. Andrea <laughs> told <genetics>. me <laughs> Andrea told me that these cattle have Australian accents. Is they that do. true? They do. Okay. I, don't, I could pretend like, to moo in Australian. I don't even know what I do. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even know what that would look like. <laughs> is, that, is that true, Andrea? They do, yeah. Okay. Yeah, 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 mm -hmm. for sure. Um, it's, it's really Can cool. you do an Australian accent for us, John? Good day, mate. There you All go. Right, perfect. Hold that a knife. <laughs> Put another West Home on the Bobby. There you yeah. go. There you go. As much as I hang out and talk to Australians, I literally can't do it still. No. No, not at all. I, I pick up on their really funny nuances, and they say many strange terms. What, give us an example. Oh, you want a good one? Okay. Um, so instead of uh, ske schedule or calendar, it's diary. Okay. So I'll put time in your diary. That I could see that. It's like conflicting. My, Don't touch my diary. I read, I yeah. read Andrea's diary all the time. <laughs> all right. So you have this cross of your own so, breed, right, the Mitchell so the cow Mitchell. and yep. the... The Mitchell moms and the Wagyu sires. And the Mitchells, by the way, some of the different things that we select for obviously are... Um, Let's call it athleticism, but there's also we need them to be really good moms. And to be honest with you, Wagyu are terrible moms. So they're not good mothers. They could take or leave being wow. motherhood. So That's... these Mitchells are amazing because they a produce a lot of milk. B they're really good nurturing animals to their young, etc. So really good. And one of the reasons why this is all important is because we have such a vast rangeland that this is all done in the natural. Like we are not. This is completely done in the wild. So it is. We have as a business have very little interaction with these animals, which is a really beautiful thing. And it's something that's very important to us. We want them to have the most natural and fulfilling life they could have. Are they allowed to just roam they those 17 million acres? No, it's broken out into 20 properties, which we call stations in Australia. Yeah. So branches, call them. But like, do you what, like move them around in the 20 we, stations? We do sometimes, yeah. Okay. I mean, so each station, oh, let's say each station sort of has a function within our uh, business and they kind of work their way down south towards Queensland. Um, where we do our processing. So even our um, feed yards are going to be just slightly above, slightly ahead of the um, processing plants, right? Because we want to obviously keep the range quite sh as short as possible. But we have some that are breeding properties. We have others that are backgrounding properties. We have you know, so different, you know, different things happen in different places. There are there are fences, right? Like it's not, but there's one property that takes seven hours to get from one end to the other. So like, Three million acres, That's one wild. property. Wow. wow. Yeah. So they really do. Like you can drive, um, and not see animals for a long time, and then you'll see a few animals, and then you drive another thirty minutes to see more animals. So it doesn't feel like we have the scale and volume that we have. 
if you really want to check it out and see the big picture, we go up in helicopters. And sometimes that's how we have to muster them. Andrea asked me earlier, she was too embarrassed to ask this on the show, but do you ever see kangaroos or wallabies or koalas. on the ranch? Tons and tons I of to kangaroos. Koalas. The kangaroos are like our deer. Wow. Yeah. Really? So they are so abundant and they're a nuisance. Like they actually eat all the crops and they're, yeah, I mean, they really are the equivalent of our and deer. People eat kangaroo too. They do. In Australia, they eat a lot. They do eat kangaroo. Um, Have you had kangaroo? It's not really to my liking. Okay. Um, what would you compare it to? Tastes like chicken. Everything does. I was it's joking. A little, <laughs> it's a little gamier, and and I find I'm, like I haven't had it a lot, but I had, remember having like kind of an oily, okay. like kind of mouthfeel that yeah. I didn't yeah. take. Yeah. Andrew prefers wallaby. <laughs> <laughs> um, what and, do what what are the cattle eating? So the cattle are eating ding, 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 Mitchell grass. So the the name of the grass is Mitchell grass, hence why we named our mommies the Mitchell cattle. And oh. Mitchell grass is a perennial, so it grows for twenty years. And it basically grows during the wet season. And then in the dry season, it dries out. Go figure. And it becomes like almost like straw or hay. And the beauty of it is it grows quite tall. And all the nutrients are in the top one third of grass in general, but mm-hmm. this grass specifically. And so because we have so much of it, the cattle can eat the, the really nutrient, nutritious part and then keep going around to other paddocks. Wow. So there's no corn. There's no additional. So for two years, these animals are basically roaming our wild pastures. And then after that, they come into our feed yards. And in the feed yards, they get a proprietary grain blend. Got it. And there is grain. There's not corn. Okay. So I like to talk about when I'm talking about beef and cattle, et cetera, that it's really three things, really two things, if you will, from the beef side of things that that impact quality beef. And it's really breed and feed, mm-hmm. right? So from a breed perspective, we talked about that we have Wagyu sires. And by the way, I didn't uh, back up a little bit from a history perspective. So in 97, the Japanese government said no more live exports, no more cattle can go out live. So we actually have the last herd to exit Japan live. Oh, wow. Now, we're talking many years ago, and obviously we, those animals are not still within um, in our family. But the reality of it is, is we've taken those genetics, they're the foundation genetics for our herds. There were four bulls and excuse me, four steers and, um, no, four bulls and, and 40 heifers that came over. And they were called the West Home Herd, hence the name West Home. Where Got it. People ask for. Very cool. So our genetics now are um, actually so much better than that original herd. And that's the beauty of it. We have a, a full-time genetics team, and all they do is improve and improve and improve. It's amazing. So people always say, do you have those original bulls? Well, obviously not because they're old. But even so, kind of the oldest Bulls on our property are, are generally about four years old because we're constantly improving the genetics. Right. I want to jump back to the, the eatability of this product. Yes. So you mentioned A5 and you mentioned BMS score. Mm-hmm. And then we all agree that you can only eat so much of that A5. Yeah. It's so rich. It's, it's so fatty. Rich, yeah. What is the scoring for a West Home steak? And why is it that you can have a beautiful 16-ounce you know, ribeye or strip Absolutely. loin? We have three tiers in under, under West Home. We have a four to five six, seven, and an eight to nine plus. The eight to nine plus is our top tier. Um, and actually you can, in theory, get up to a 12 BMS by visually scoring it, right? However, the Australian government, who is who grades Wagyu in Australia, that's a unique thing because in the US, there's no oversight from like the USDA or any other government body. So it's it's all in-house grading that takes place. But for us, our carcasses are graded by Ausmeat, which is the equivalent of USDA. And those carcasses well, I should say the government says they can only be graded at a nine plus. So 
you can't, it, we could have a 12, but it, you, you can't go any higher. Correct. Exactly. So that's why you get beautiful, beautiful product in our eight to nine plus. So, and now I'm going to throw another, hopefully not a wrench in the gear. Yeah. When we talk about USDA grading, yep. which is prime choice select, where does this- yeah. So prime would the, fall into a three or four, probably like a really great prime would, would could be get wow. to a four. So your so stuff West Home is, is like- But it's significantly better, of course. So it's, yeah. it kind of is occupying the middle ground- where it's way more marbled, better confirmation than USDA Prime, yep. but it's still not as overly fatty. I want to use the yeah. word. You Maybe that's not the, the best whole word. Steak. You can have a whole yeah. steak. So it's really, it has a yeah. sweet spot mm-hmm. between Japanese beef and, and, USDA and the top Prime. USDA yeah. Prime. Exactly. Wow, that's amazing. So it's really like a super steak. Yeah, it really is. And so you asked the question of why can you only eat you know, two to three ounces of the A5 versus what we do. And it's actually a super simple explanation. So the way that the Japanese production method of Wagyu is it's very small. Like farmers will have four or five animals, right? And they raise them in sheds or in uh, barns, if you will. Um, and they restrict their movement because they want to get them fat, right? So we're just like with humans, if you don't use your muscles, what happens? Andrea does this with me. She doesn't let me move, (laughs) sit in the seat, and here we are. The opposite these days. Uh, Looking very trim, John. Yeah, so they get a bit of muscle atrophy, but more importantly, that's what they're breeding for the fat, Mm -hmm. right? The internal internal fat. Where we want our animals to live a really amazing life, and they use their muscles because they are going out and walking around and on a daily basis. And so that's the biggest difference, right? is the mixed genetics, number one, and number two, the fact that they're actually moving moving around. Yep. Does the marbling, does that scoring have anything to do with texture? Does it make beef more tender or is it more just of a flavor? No, it absolutely aspect? impacts So it's everything. Texture. It's everything. Um, you'll notice when you're eating West Home, this is something that we talk about all the time, is it has a really clean mouthfeel. When you're eating A5, for the most part, not all the time, but I, I find that it leaves sort of almost a greasy coating in your mouth. Sure. The beauty of our product is it really doesn't. It's just clean. It has a clean finish. It's it's a beautiful expression of our product. Yeah. Does West Film, is it available in every type of cut? Can you get a ribeye? Is it the traditional butcher cuts? Yeah. So we do um, break the end of the carcasses a little bit differently in Australia. But to answer your question, yes. Theoretically, everything is available. We bring over tongues and tails and cheeks and ribeyes, both bone-in, boneless, short loins, you name it. And then everything from butcher's cuts like skirt and hanger and sirloin flap or bavette, flank, everything. Amazing. So if a chef is looking for something specific, you can work with them to figure out that cut and Absolutely. kind of cut it for them? For sure. Well, so you, so Allen Brothers would be mm-hmm. the ones that would generally cut it, yeah. right? But we send over subprimals. Okay. And so the nice thing also to note about our product is because we're, it's coming a good bit of distance, we don't want to pay freight on excess. So the trim specs of the product is exceptional. So for instance, on our ribeye rolls, which is a lip-off ribeye, you essentially can get 100% yield because all you're doing is cutting steak straight out of Mm -hmm. it. You don't have to do any butchering. Our tomahawks come Frenched uh, and knife-ready. You don't need a bandsaw because we notch you Mm -hmm. have to notch out the button bones, but but the chine's removed. So there's a lot of really good user-friendly uh, items that we offer. I bet a lot of chefs wonder when, you know, if they're buying this product, does the BMS score show up on the packaging? It sure does. There's an insert in every cryovac package that shows the marble score. Great. And is that how Chef's Warehouse sells it? Do we mm-hmm. sell it by the score? Like, yeah, is there so a range? It's, it's definitely oh, broken yeah. down. So is the it... majority of the product that we bring into the US is six plus, so the six, seven, and eight, nine plus, because that's kind of what's demand the demand is for. Yep. Um, I think there used to be a perception 
a while back that Australian Wagyu is inferior to domestic Wagyu. And I would argue that one of the main reasons was because it was pr predominantly the low marble score stuff that was coming into the country. And so when we decided to make a new push into the U.S., we decided that really we want to focus on the high marble score product because we have so many discerning chefs here. And this is really like the culinary mecca. And we want to build a brand here. And we want to do it the right way. Makes so sense. I'm starting to see West Home on the menus at some of the greatest restaurants in the United States, which mm -hmm. is amazing. And that is, to me, like an indicator. If I see that, I'm ordering that steak. If I'm at a home and I'm a consumer, can I buy this at a retail store? I know we can you go on allenbrothers.com and buy it? Like where can you find it? There are there's definitely some product on allenbrothers.com. There's definitely some product on Goldbelly. We have our own page. Um I think stay tuned. We're we're looking at doing some other cool stuff. And we do some really neat chef um collaborations through Goldbelly and I think we'll probably do some through Allen Brothers in the near future. Um we did one with May Lynn. Um, a meal kit, and we did one with Ludo um, mm -hmm. for the LA market. Yeah, I won't even Chris Yaman Yaman. <laughs> yeah, yeah, don't worry. <laughs> From Night Market. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, so that's a kind of a cool thing we're doing as well. We're getting ready to do one with Fly by Jing, with Jing from Fly mm -hmm. by so Jing. So that's great. So these yeah. are things that people at home can buy yeah, and absolutely. cook at home. Um, what, what is on the? I guess the horizon for West Holm. You, you, I feel like you guys are very, you know, every four years you're you're working on genetics, and you know, I think you know, it sounds to me like a company that's like very innovative and you know 100%. forward thinking. So, what so are the trends? I can give you a couple of things that yeah. are really cool that we're very excited about. So we we really do pride ourselves on being at the forefront of sustainability, animal welfare, and all the other things. I personally, someone who's been in the beef industry for a really long time, um, I think I look to Australia to to kind of set the trends in terms of growth in the in the beef industry and and, and better beef. Yeah. You know? So one of the things that we are doing is pretty cool and it's really in beginning stages. We just finished our first um, flavor profile test, but there's a product called Asparagopsis. Okay. okay. And Asparagopsis is a red seaweed that a company called Seaforest, who we're in partnership with, uh, start, the founder is just one of those really geeky, awesome guys. And somehow put two and two together that this asparagopsis, when fed to cattle, can reduce methane emissions. Wow. That's very cool. Like significantly. That is really cool. So we are, we just completed the first round, which is a 300-day feeding protocol. Did the testing. If you want to know how do you test for methane emission reduction, it's pretty awesome. They put a cow in a glass room. Because <laughs> it all has to do with emissions. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's how you test them. That's one thing that's very cool that's kind of on the horizon is a methane uh, I would, you can't say methane-free, but a significantly methane-reduced. How much beef. is there like a percentage reduction that you're aiming for? Yeah, I think TBD on that. I think okay. any improvement is improvement. Yeah, of the course. Originally, I've heard numbers that were, um, you know, 75, 50. I, I don't know where we're going to land. I actually don't know. But more importantly, we wanted to make sure that it didn't impact the flavor of the beef, right? Because that's great if it is sustainable, but not so great if it makes the beef taste funky. And it didn't. And there was absolutely no indication. So really exciting stuff. We do need to talk about you. Because okay. you're a, you know, a badass in this, <laughs> in this world. Well, thank you. Um, so the other one is pulled Wagyu. So all cattle are born with horns, right? And in every cattle operation, you have to dehorn cattle. It's not a great experience. Like it's a surgery, essentially. Mm -hmm. Um, and everybody wants the best for their animals. And so you give them as much pain medicine stuff. But we know it's a really kind of a gruesome um, scenario. So we are actually breeding our purebred cattle without horns. Whoa. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. How did you get into the beef business in the first place? 
feel like there's not many women, and I just want to call that out, <laughs> that it's a man's world. 100%. And like Less so now than when I got into it, but yeah, yeah. 100% it is. Um, you know what? I've been a passionate foodie, restaurateur, loved F&B my whole life. I naturally have a degree in sociology and criminal justice that I've put to no use. Right. <laughs> but I've always loved dining, fine dining. I mean, just I'm just a huge foodie and love to cook. And that was sort of, I decided after college where my passion was. I was running restaurants anyways and um, wanted to still be involved in the business without running restaurants. And so a dear friend of mine who's a chef and restaurateur said, before you make any decisions, because I was probably more in the, heading in the direction of wine, she said, why don't you talk to my beef guy, my meat guy? And she set us up and he said, I can put your resume on the right desk, but that's about all. And I don't really know you anyways. So <laughs> said, no problem. And it kind of went from there. And then I would call it, uh, you know, 50-50 talent and luck because um, I was just was really successful quite early in it and progressed my career. Yeah. It's amazing. Thank you. There's one thing that you said that you didn't get to finish because, you know, John interrupted you. <laughs> but you said there's two things about breed and feed. Yeah, sure. Great. We didn't finish Let's go feed. Back to feed. Yep. I want to go back to feed. Sure. So we all know the, the comment uh, of uh, or the term you are what you eat, mm -hmm. right? No brainer there. We also probably, you guys, I'm assuming, know the term terroir, mm -hmm. yeah, which we normally apply to wine. But it talks about the provenance and how the provenance of where things are grown or come from impacts what they are and how they taste. Sure. And we talk about the Mitchell Grass original. We, we're talking about that. And I think that has a big piece of it. And again, most people who raise cattle in Australia are not raising them where we are raising them. And very, very few people are raising Wagyu. So when you're talking about, you know, called the competitors or, you know, um, the, the people that uh, also are producing Wagyu in Australia, the vast, vast majority is coming from kind of the southern region, New South Wales, which has much different grass. Right. So this Mitchell grass is unique to Queensland and where we are. So that's one piece of it. And then, as I mentioned, when they're ready, we put them into our feed yards, which are really nice. They go for walks. I mean, it's 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 a really good life. It's quite different from um, the way that we handle cattle here in the U.S. They are there. They get a blend of <laughs> predominantly sorghum. OK, so sorghum is what grows well where we are over there. Corn does not. Just pretty basic fundamentals. But our feed blend also has barley, which is what the traditional feed is for Japan. Okay. To give you context. Also steamed oats. And then we use 30% non human non-consumables to reduce our farming footprint. Okay. So again, a sustainability initiative. So that can be almond husks, macadamia hulls, cotton seed, all good stuff for roughage. Um, and then everything is bound together with molasses to make it really palatable for the animals. And it really, truly does smell and taste like a granola bar. So it is a Wagyu granola bar. Ah, that's so cool. <laughs> and all of these things, sorghum being sort of sweet and nutty in and of itself, obviously molasses for sure, um, impacts the flavor of the beef. And you do, say, do you get this that? very sweet finish. It's yeah. it's incredibly beefy. The product is very, very beefy in a beautiful way. And then and then the finish, again, clean, no lingering taste. We get, we've actually done a flavor wheel, which is pretty cool. Mostly flavor wheels are coffee, wine, et cetera. But we did the first Wagyu flavor wheel. And Could you send me that? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and We're we, going to put it on our website. Awesome. And you get a lot of like caramelization. You get um, kind of yeasty toasted bread notes. So there's a lot of different cool things that, that you can pick out as a result of the feed. So I had a very lucky invitation a couple of weeks ago to go to Laser Wolf at mm -hmm. the Hoxton Hotel in Brooklyn 
where Deborah put on a dinner with Wagyu West, uh, West Home Wagyu. Very nice. And they did a pastrami style Wagyu brisket. Talk to us about that. Are they, so can this be used? As, like the, obviously the steaks can be served yeah. any which way, but talk to us about the brisket. Yeah. So that's the beautiful thing about the product is there's so much versatility and there's something in my opinion for every consumer, chef, et cetera, for any price point. Um, so people think of Wagyu and they think really expensive, mm-hmm. but, and generally speaking, it is more significantly more expensive than conventional beef. However, depending on what you're looking to do, there's, there's a place on any menu for West Ham. So brisket specifically is a great item. Obviously, we know it for barbecue. If you're Jewish, then you know it's great for the Jewish holidays. Um, what else can you do with brisket? Pastrami. Pastrami is awesome. How about grinds, right? So yeah. it makes for amazing yes. grind blend. So putting some West Home brisket into a blend of grind makes for the most insane, amazing burger because you're mm-hmm. getting the flavor, you're getting the fat, you're getting all of that kind of unctuous umami, and it's beautiful. So yeah. that's a great opportunity. I've even seen people doing brunch, like uh, brisket and eggs. There's like a brisket Diablo. Like a hash almost. You can do it as 100% as a hash. Yeah. This is more of like a braised, it's delicious, like a spicy brisket with eggs. Let me tell you, this pastrami was like Ridiculous. melt in your mouth, delicious. Like, like But is it, it's not flavor. like pastrami like we typically talk about, right? Like, is it more, like this is more like... It, we love like pastrami for anybody who listens to the show knows we yeah. talk a lot about pastrami and the <laughs> New York, you know, Jewish deli experience. This is like the Rolls Royce version okay. of it. It's it is level. so silky, delicious, amazing. Um, we actually, you asked Rolling what's next here. on the horizon or there's, we have a lot of stuff going on, including um, West Ham grass fed is going to be coming in the near future and very small production, but um, it's going to be pretty cool. And then West Ham Wagyu bacon. Ooh. Yeah. A beef bacon. A beef bacon wow. that's, that's like nothing you've ever tasted. Yeah. And then do ya, Wagyu. Like there's some really cool stuff we're working on. Do you do grinds? Do you do burgers? Um, that is something we also will be launching this year. Uh-huh. So um, stay tuned. Yeah. We have the CBS burger at Chef's, the Chuck yep. Brisket short yep. rib. Mm-hmm. That'd be awesome to have a have some Wagyu or, you know, West Home Wagyu in there. For sure. That's something Harris and I are talking about on Perfect. the side. Perfect. So yeah, absolutely. I love it. Um, and then obviously, you know, barbecue, right? Like, I mean, we... American barbecue, it doesn't get any better. Yeah. I was actually talking with some of the really top, I was in Austin last week and speaking with some of the top barbecue guys. And it was interesting because they said that they love to use Wagyu brisket, and specifically West Ham actually, <clears throat> for their competition barbecue, but not as much in the restaurant. And I said, why? Like, I want the restaurant business, right? That's the volume play. And they said, because, and I loved this, when you're doing competition barbecue, you have to get everything into one bite. It has to be one of the, the most amazing bite that the judges are ever going to try, right? Like that's what you're trying. It's one bite to blow mm-hmm. them away. Whereas in a restaurant, people are coming and you actually want them to eat a lot. Mm-hmm. Right. So I, fa- I feel like there's got to be some happy medium in there somewhere. Mm-hmm. Brisket tacos. Yeah. <laughs> brisket, yeah. Barbecue brisket tacos. But what about yield? I want, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, go for it. I want to talk about yield because with barbecue, that's like a huge... Massive yield loss. Yeah, you're looking probably like a 50% yield loss. Is it the um, same for West Home? No. Okay. So one is we it doesn't take as long to cook. So that's what the kind of feedback we've gotten from a lot of the pitmasters. Um, it's a slower, or excuse me, a shorter cook time. But also our products come, as I mentioned earlier, really well trimmed. So it's a, it's a traditional 120 packer brisket, but the deckle is removed <clears throat> and the and we trim the belly a good bit. So there's much less waste and therefore, and part of the reason why it's a shorter cook time. And also, of course, all of the marbling helps. Wagyu in general 
it, it has a much lower melting point, the fat does. Mm-hmm. So it's just a different, so it actually lends itself amazingly well to- To barbecue. Correct. That makes sense. Yeah. One last question. Yeah. Does West Home Wagyu, is it better served as something that's grilled or done in a pan? Does that level, because I know I've when I've handled Japanese beef before, the the potential for flare-ups if you're on a grill yeah. is tremendous because all that fat dripping. Correct. How and we about have a West similar Tom? experience. So if you're asking me my personal opinion, yep. I will always tell you to cook it in a pan. Um, I kind of get cringy when I walk into a steakhouse and they want to throw it on a, on a stand-up broiler because it's just too dang hot. Yeah. Yeah. And it's the meat will seize up, right? You need actually a, a, a more progressive cooking. Also, to your point, it'll leach, it. it'll leach the fat out and it'll drip yeah. out. Whereas in a pan, it's actually just putting it right back in. So do you recommend that the chefs cook this in a pan over high heat? Is it something that you want? Do they want to develop a crust on this yeah, type of beef? Yeah, you definitely want to. And it's actually um, really easy to. The product, because it has those natural sugars coming through, it caramelizes in a beautiful way. Um, yeah, so you want to sear it off and then kind of let it, yeah, let it go. What's the proper temp to cook it to? It's a good question. If you ask Australians, and I'm sort of leaning in that mindset, it's a medium, right? Mm-hmm. Because that actually gives the fat um, the, the a way to disperse and, and sort of render. Mm-hmm. Whereas we typically, as chefs, will say, let's cook everything rare to medium rare. And it's still delicious. Don't get me wrong. Is it, it more does, tough? It's tougher. And yeah. you don't get the flavor nuances as much. And so nine times out of 10, if we're doing a cutting, I'll say, I know you want to cook it rare or medium rare. Let's cut the steak in half and do it one your way and one my way, just so you can taste the difference. And nine times out of 10, they'll go, oh, yeah, I get it now. Have you had West Home in raw applications like tartare or in carpaccio? makes some of the best. What's the best cuts for that? For the uh, carpaccio, people love the eye of round. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm also a huge fan of our top round, cap off top round, which to me is like a sleeper cool item, really reasonably priced. It's great for carving stations, but also for raw applications, 100%. It's a great price point. And and it's marbled like you've never seen a top round marble ever. It's wild. And then um, as far as tartare, I've had it with everything from tenderloin, strip loin, hang, amazing with hanger steak. Yeah. So I don't think there's any wrong answer to that question. Our product definitely makes an amazing tartare or if we're Australian, tartare. <laughs> All right. I lied. I have one more question. Keep them up. Prime rib. Is there such a thing? Do Are there steamships of this that people can use to do like a slicing station prime rib? So we don't do a, a full steamship. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we do, these top rounds would be the equivalent, right? Because it's a nice large carving yeah. item. Um, or of course, a traditional, well, I mean, not traditional prime rib would be a steamship, but I'm saying, but I think more common now is people using an export rib or an OP rib. And certainly we do offer this, a bone-in ribeye. Do you have a favorite West Home Wagyu steak? Like, is there a ounce? I want to know ounces, yeah. cut. Okay. What is it that so you're my going? Two fa- so, okay, let's see. I think our skirt steak is insanely delicious, um, as does everybody else, hence why we're usually fully sold on it. Uh-huh. <laughs> I actually really love a filet of ribeye or a Manhattan strip. So a small, call it six-ouncer, maybe seven. Like a baseball steak? Essentially, but it looks like a baseball. So you basically remove the spinalis muscle from the rib, and then you have what's called the heart of the ribeye. And it looks like a filet, but it tastes like a ribeye. And it's absolutely delicious. So it eliminates all of the... the star fat and kernel fat that sometimes people find too fatty. Right. Not my issue at all with it, but I just think this is a really beautiful steak and it allows you to have a nice thickness to it so you get a, cook, a proper cook on it. Love it. Uh, because if you tried to do a small 
portion of a, a ribeye or a strip, you're just going to get too paper flat. thin, right? Yeah. And that doesn't perform well. So the same idea with a, a Manhattan strip is you're taking a whole strip loin, cutting it down the middle, and then cutting steaks that way. So you get something with a bit of profile, high profile to it from a cooking perspective, from a plating perspective as well. And um, to me, those are just delicious because they're amazing. I mean, they're are just you, amazing Are cuts. you guys doing any of the cuts in bone-in? Yeah, sure. We do tomahawks. We do exports. We do short loins. Um, short ribs, bone in, you name it. The, I'll tell you what, we did a dinner in Baltimore with the Fells team and the chef there prepared our oyster blades as flat, they're flat irons, mm-hmm. um, top blade flat iron. And those were amazing too. So kind of on the top of my favorite list as well. Nice. I feel like eating a steak I right know. now. I'm like, can we go get steak, please? Yes. Would you like to join me for dinner? Let's go. <laughs> yes. Well, this so, has yeah. been a amazing. lot of fun. So informative. We already love the product because we've had it. But now we like really love it. And if you are a chef and you're sitting there and you want to love it, go to chefswarehouse.com or allenbrothers.com and you can purchase all the West Home Wagyu you want. Thanks so much, Deb. Thanks, Deb. Thank you. Great to have you here. It's been fun. Thank you for listening to this episode of Ingredient Insiders. Subscribe and follow us on Instagram at Ingredient Insiders. You can find the products we discussed in today's episode and more at chefswarehouse.com or your favorite specialty retailer.